Hey y'all, it's Nico. Um, just wanted to say hello and also throw a quick content warning up on this episode. We mentioned a couple of real touchy things such as suicide and incest and animal death. Um, none of them in too graphic of detail, but we just want to make sure you're walking into this episode with your eyes wide open, your ears wide open, your soul wide open, whatever else needs to be open. Um, I hope you enjoy in spite of the heavy topics that we have to mention and yeah, um, please enjoy. Your smile, it's like I breathe. Helplessly, I run and just want you. Compare nobody to you. Boy, I try to catch myself, but I'm out of control. Your sexiness is so appealing, I can't let it go. has been a while i feel so out of out of out of the saddle i had to get back into the saddle and i don't remember like what animal the saddle is supposed to go on maybe a whale hyena where do you find a hyena and where do you find a hyena this time of night at 10 30 in the morning i don't know it's 12 35 for me gosh gosh it has been a a bit of a sabbatical it's been great it has been I think it's been three months to the day since we have been on the Skype with each other. I feel like our our biological clocks were ticking. They're like it's so been this a whole, is like it's been a whole season. What do, what do you call that? What do you call a quarter of a year? It's not <laughs> biannual. It's um, quarter annual isn't a word. Quad quad quadrannual. Quarterly, but also like quarterly. This is this is our <laughs> quarterly review. <laughs> but like I mean, we were doing it really consistently before. And then we just, I and then we just, we just fell asleep for three months. <laughs> yeah, we fell into a, a deep, a deep, enchanted slumber from which we have only just now awoken. Yeah, yeah, that feels that feels true and right, and honestly, fine. Um, for like, I started, I started feeling like itchy after a, after a while because I was like, I've it's been so long, <laughs> right. Yeah, it sort of got to a certain point where, like, it had been, like, a long time, and, like, I knew it had been a long time. <laughs> but then it got to, like, it hit a certain threshold where it had been so long that it felt stressful. I know. Do it. I was like, it, it's so funny. Like, <laughs> I went to, um, I visited my brother in California last month, and he was like, it's been a while since you've done the podcast. And I was like, I was like, yeah, it has. And also like, I, and I, I need to say something about it. I really want to say something about it, but also it's been so long. Right. So and that's then- sort of the thing too, is that like, 
Yeah, so that I've had that like same like verbatim conversation like weekly with, uh, <laughs> with, my, with my mother. Shout out to me, Madre, my podcast biggest fan. Hey, mom. But uh, yeah, like it wasn't even like we didn't like even like we didn't have like a hard time scheduling it or anything like that. It's just sort of like we recorded the last episode and we logged off and was like, great, awesome, <laughs> see you next week, and then we just sort of stopped talking. We did for, for about a, three months for a while. For no, and I think it was just like <laughs> we were each sort of waiting for the other one to like prod the other one, <laughs> and then neither of us did because we were both waiting. And then yeah, like I said, it got to a certain point where like I felt guilty uh, about how long it had been, and that made it more stressful gosh. to try to reschedule it. How cute are we? I feel like also like I don't know how how you feel but i felt no type of way about like about not scheduling it like i didn't feel like frustrated or i felt no like no negative feelings about it other than like oh god i'm being a disappointment right yeah basically yeah it was just like like, there was, like i didn't like necessarily like feel the drive which is fine like it should be something that we do like when we want to do you know yeah. we shouldn't hold, be beholden to a schedule and we had like other things going on like we had other stuff to do in our lives and relationships like watching and pets bad movies or good movies yeah mostly bad movies mostly (sighs) should we intro we should probably intro um (laughs) i just want to say i do i did think um i thought it was sort of funny that our uh, last episode was largely focused on the concept of nothing stopping us now (laughs) and then we did stop I think for a extended period of several months. <laughs> so nothing's going to stop us now except for ourselves. I feel like it was time that we needed to take. And it is. I mean, also like part of it too, like, I don't know, in a way I think it was sort of just like, I mean, I don't know how you felt and I didn't necessarily feel like burnt out about mm-hmm. it, but just like after doing it for a while, it was like, it felt sort of nice to just like be able to take a breather and just yeah. like, okay, let's like sit back a little bit, like get back in the saddle, like more both like, Feeling the itch, feeling the urge, feeling the the, the three-month itch. This is work. This is, like, actual work. This is why people who are maybe a little better at it than us get paid for it. But, like... We don't get paid for it at all. Yeah, we're doing this out of the goodness of our hearts and souls and also because it's fun. But, like, it's not... it's we have we have full time jobs and relationships and exactly uh, pets and gotta, families and you just got to focus on that stuff, not necessarily on your uh, movie podcast. True, we only do it when we feel like having fun, and I've just right. been so serious hey. these past three months. It's been a serious three months, and now it's finally feeling like a little bit like, hey, we can get a little bit of uh, loosey goosey again. Yeah, I feel I feel we loose. I feel free. Bit, there's, there's a little bit more room for. Uh, for leisure, for watching movies and yelling about them. Yeah. So we wake up on a Saturday morning and we discuss a film, as has been our routine in the past. Our want. Our, our want. Our, our, our As we are want to do. Our agenda. That is our agenda, isn't it? Our gay agenda. <sighs> our gay agenda. <laughs> okay let's intro, intro. <laughs> i forget okay. how so you go first okay uh fuck what's the name of the podcast <laughs> it's my name <laughs> hello and welcome to what the Het, a podcast about heteronormativity in cinema 
I am Alex Keswick, your estranged father. Hello, son. I miss you and love you. <laughs> I need five dollars. You need five dollars from me? Yes, but you're my, you're my but you're my dad. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm estranged. Oh, okay. And I love you, and I miss you. Oh, I need five dollars oh, for the for the dog for the dog track. Oh, you're a deadbeat. I get it. Well, I'm Nico Rufino, also a deadbeat dad. Um, so I can't help you. That's all right. A f- this is a fun improv that we're doing. It's sort of a. Uh, <laughs> it's sort of a uh, like an estranged like mutual sugar daddy relationship <laughs> where neither of us talk to each other for several months and both of us need five dollars so we we've been passing the same five dollar bill between us for it's years filthy. <laughs> well let's talk about the the movie i guess is yeah, that how this so works what movie did you pick out for us uh, this time around nico for for some reason, I picked out the Royal Tenenbaums, and I chose that movie because for two reasons. One, I really liked it when I was 17, and two, I, in spite of really liking it when I was 17, I remember there being a nightmarish heterosexual pairing, and that's about it. Okay. I mean, that's kind of the criteria for all of our movies, so that fits right in. Yeah, this sort of <laughs> definitely feels like the... Uh... I mean, that's my experience with it, too. It's sort of the movie that, like, I liked when I was 17. Mm. It's definitely, uh, I think, like, even more like something like the movie, like, the soundtrack. Mm. Like, had a big effect on movie was 17. Like, listening to it, I was like, wow, this is, like, every single song that I listened to when I was in high school. Aw. It's, like, the Royal Tenenbaum soundtrack. I, um, I've always really liked Wes Anderson. I like, because, like, I'm a twee bitch. Like, you, like, I'm wearing, I'm wearing my like mustard yellow hat i'm sitting in my mustard yellow chair like you do look very like steve zissou right now i know you can't see this at home folks but nico's been replaced by bill murray yeah i mean steve zissou if he wore beyonce merch while recording this is from the on the run tour too you don't know Um, that he didn't underneath that wetsuit (laughs) that's true i don't um i i've always really liked wes anderson but i realized watching this again um with my jaded old eyes that basically like all of his movies are kind of the same movie um as much as i enjoy all of the ones i've seen um much as you enjoy that that singular movie after I, you've seen it I've seen seven or eight times because like they've got like the the twee very like even camera work and like the um all of the characters are always like a little weird <laughs> and, uh, and Bill Murray is always there and Angelica Huston is often there and right I think I I, I think I remember it might have been after I saw this movie for the first time I think I remember like posting a Facebook status uh-huh. about like I wonder if Wes Anderson has just been having like the same nervous breakdowns since 2001 <laughs> or if it's been like a succession of smaller ones over the years I like one of the reasons that I really enjoyed um, the Grand Budapest Hotel is because it was a little different. Like uh, the setting was a little different. The um, there weren't. I don't remember. Like I, I'm sure there was at least one of his one of his cronies showed up, but like not. I don't think it was Bill Murray, and I'm happy about that. Uh, 
I liked I liked Grand Budapest a lot, but we didn't watch that one. We watched Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so here's the thing. Please. I hate Wes Anderson. <laughs> saying that, I will also freely admit that I don't have a reason to hate Wes Anderson. <laughs> because in the process of watching his movies, like in the process of watching The Royal Tenenbaums, Night Before Last, mm-hmm. I enjoyed the experience. But God, like it's like pulling teeth, like getting me to like commit to watching Wes Anderson movie like and I think it's, it's exactly what you're saying like he just makes the same movie over and over again is what it feels like and just like knowing what I'm going to get into like no matter what Wes Anderson I pick out like knowing like you know the mood like the characters like the way the dialogue is written like the music cues the way it's shot and everything I think it just sort of makes me angry it's like I know I get it okay like surprise me like put a <laughs> snake in my sock Wes, come on. I don't know. It's like in the same, it's just like he's one of those directors that is like, yeah, he does one thing like better than anyone else. And that's great. And it was great when like he did that. He does mustard yellow like a bitch. Okay. Nope. Nobody does it like that. But also. Nobody does mustard yellow. Wes Anderson copyrighted mustard yellow and no one else is allowed to. Mustard yellow is an anagram for Wes Anderson. It is. Um, Little known fact. But also, it's, uh, um, he's been doing mustard yellow for the last 20 years. Yeah, there's nobody else. There's like, nobody's even going to bother. It's like, Wes Anderson's got this on lock. Um, same with, like, um, you know, um, notorious freshman uh, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. You know, he just makes the same, like, movie, more or less, the same style of movie repeatedly. Nobody does a foot fetish plus buckets of blood like Quentin. Right. Nobody else. They put the camera in the trunk. They have Samuel L. Jackson is there. He is, usually. So I guess I have like a love-hate relationship with Quentin Anderson because, again, like I said, I enjoy his movies. I enjoy <laughs> his music choices. I really like I his music choices. I enjoy his actors, but it's, God, this, I'm so sick of him. I'm sick, I'm sick of the boy. He hasn't made a movie in like four, four and a half years. What was the um, last one? Was it the Grand Budapest Hotel? I think Hotel? it was Grand Budapest. See, I didn't actually see that one. So I saw The Real Tenenbaums. I saw Fantastic Mr. Fox. I saw Moonrise Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Moonrise Kingdom. I didn't see Bella Rocket. I didn't see Rushmore. And I didn't see Grand Budapest Hotel. So maybe I've only seen like half of them. So actually, I might be talking like halfway out of my ass <gasps> because I haven't actually seen the majority of those guys' movies. Well, I, but I just because... said if you've seen one, you've seen them all. Exactly. So I feel like I don't so even need to because I feel like I've already seen these, even though I haven't. Uh, funnily enough, the Grand Budapest Hotel is like one of my grandpa's favorite movies. It's a good one. Like honestly, I think it's it's worth watching, but it's also like I feel like it'll get you in that like in that I hate Wes Anderson space. But also, Ray Fiennes is in it, and he's so good. Oh, that's that's the other thing that yeah, just that, that there's that certain space that like I end up occupying in the midst of watching a Wes Anderson movie and for a period of time afterward where I just get so fucking depressed. They're all sad. Like they're all so they're, sad. And like and they're so they're so like not even sad, they're just like melancholy. And so like God, this like just puts me in the mindset of yeah, being like sixteen, seventeen years old, listening to the Rolling Stones and like pining after, you know, 
my crush <laughs> being sad. I'm listening to sad music to make myself oh, feel the right kind of sad. Oh, it's perfect. It's perfect for that. It just a, a period of time that in my life that I've moved past. I yeah, like that was the first thing I thought when I finished watching this. I was like, I I'm glad to have enjoyed this movie when I was 17. Like I like I'm glad that that was me. Like I'm glad I went through that phase, but I'm also really glad that I've outgrown it. Exactly. Yeah, it's just like it's like an old like coat that you wore like every single day in high school yeah. and it got worn out and it got threadbare and it was super comfortable and then you find it in your closet one day like 10 years later and you try it on and it still fits and you're like oh this is like i remember wearing this it's so comfortable i've outgrown it and it's no longer my style i would never go out in public wearing this coat ever again not but it's nice once. thanks for the memories thanks for the coat wes <laughs> i'm gonna thrift this coat now gonna thrift um. this coat <laughs> I'm glad that we align on on Wes. Not that I didn't think we would, because I feel like I feel like we were similarly angsty as teens. I think I think we would have been good oh, friends, I'm sure. very good friends. Then. Probably, maybe not. I feel like I was hard to be friends with. So as I. a teen, but <laughs> we would have been each other's we only have friends, been friends in, <laughs> as teens. But maybe we would have like found each other later and then become friends later on into our 20s which as i'm saying is out loud is actually that's exactly what happened true story <laughs> of what happened so these chickens are coming home to roost my friend thanks for the chickens wes <laughs> i didn't see the dog one i did not see the isle of dogs that's the one i couldn't remember that was his most recent oh, one it only came oh, out like a was. year or two ago oh yeah i actually did want to see that um because again like he pulls like he gets good people on board with him like i really like like it's hard because i really like the cinematography and mm. i really like the music and i like who he works with but it's just kind of like i can be doing something else i don't like the feeling of watching a movie and thinking i could be watching seven other movies at the same time right like, that's the thing it's just like it's, committing myself to two hours of like knowing like yeah the the the, the, the frame of mind i'm going to be in it just like seems like yeah it's like okay i know I'm, i need to commit myself to this i need to have an excuse like my podcast yeah this time i did this i did this for you and for the fans i do think that might have also contributed to the extended period of time is just because like it was really hard to motivate myself to want to watch the Royal Tenenbaums. It took three it took three months for you to, it took three for months you to, to myself off. be able to watch the Royal Tenenbaums. Oh man, this is a this is not going to be a regular episode of the podcast. This is going to be an indictment of Wes Anderson. <laughs> this is a very special episode. I feel like most of our episodes are an indictment of uh, said director. That's true. That's true. Not of Wes Anderson specifically, but underlying it really after everything that's happened throughout my teenage years and going into my early adulthood mm -hmm. maybe everything i do is a mild indictment of wes anderson say that Ooh, that's very interesting that feels like that feels like something to work through with a therapist um i am not a therapist but i am a very good listener if you'd like to say more nope Okay. Um, <laughs> so, um, should we get into a little little plot synopsis? Yes, let's get into it. My notes are sparse. 
Yeah, I, like, I, I took four. a few at the start, and then... So yeah, that's sort of the thing, too. <laughs> it was sort of hard for me to want to to motivate myself to get into this movie, just because, like, one, as we've extensively discussed at this point, it's hard for me to want to watch that type of movie. Two, I was terrified that we were getting ourselves into another um, St. Elmo's Fire situation. Because mm. my memory of this movie was, yeah, there were a ton of characters. It was super complicated. All these interwoven plots. But actually, like, rewatching it this time, like, it's, it's not as complicated a movie as, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward. Like, there are a bunch of characters, but their relations to each other are not nearly as intertangled yeah. as um, a, a, a Jewel Schumacher joint. Oh, Joel. Like, it's, like, basically, like, you get into the movie, it, like, lays out, like, the characters, the relationships to each other, and most of the complicated stuff that happened to them already has happened by the outset of the film. Yeah. And then they're sort of just set. It's not even, like, nothing really happens necessarily in the movie. I mean, there's a plot to the movie, but, like, it's pretty, like, slow. Like, only a couple things really happen, like, in the plot that are kind of big. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just sort of, like, a moment in these characters' lives. It's not, like a big, like, life-changing sort of shake em up kind of thing. And so it's sort of like these characters, things happened to them in the past, and now they're coming up to the end of sort of this journey of coming to terms with that. I feel so strongly that, like, these characters' personalities are kind of so, like, superficial. Like, so, so certain. Like, not, not, I like, I not shallow necessarily, but... Not shallow in the traditional sense, but, like, there isn't much beneath the surface. So it's just kind of, like, so they're all more or less the same. Like, they all express themselves in the same ways. Right. There's not really any character development. Yeah. They're sort of, like, set in stone. Like, this is who they are, and the development that happens is the way they relate to each other more mm. than like coming to any big realizations about themselves necessarily. Yeah. Like it's all just like them like laying things on the table and then things sort of change as a result of that. And then they're still sort of the same people, but yeah, yeah. it's definitely like, and and I think that has a lot to do with like the fact that all of the kids are prodigies. Like they, they just kind of stay completely like, stagnant in like the way that they were as children right. uh, because they were so adult and so brilliant or whatever. And then as adults, they're all like, they're all messes and that's, um, but they're still exactly the same as they were when they were kids. And like, that's, I think that's, I think the point, but it is grating to watch. <laughs> right. Yes, absolutely. Wes. Wesley. Weston West. Andertron. <laughs> what have you done? Wesley Elizabeth Anderson. Why? Is that his own name? No. I don't know. Probably. Maybe? I can I can assume. I haven't I haven't looked into it. Anyways. Wesley <laughs> Mustard Yellow Anderson. <laughs> Mustard Yellow is definitely his middle name. Uh, it's a little Easter egg for you when you're watching those movies. <laughs> it's his like his little signature. He like signs it in every frame. It's like it's like how like Alfred Hitchcock or Stan Lee would, would cameo in their own movies. Wes, yeah, exactly. Wes's cameo is the the excessive mustard yellow. Um, you know, he's actually not a human being. He's just the color mustard. Mm, that explains so much. A lot of people don't know that. 
they just set a bottle of mustard behind the camera in the director's chair, and then <laughs> everything that happens, happens. They just let it ride. <laughs> you walk into the studio, you see that bottle of mustard in the chair, you're like, all right, I know exactly what we're doing today. <laughs> Highly improvisational. <laughs> so yeah, let's get it. So yeah, let's uh, let's go girls. get into the plot of the movie a little bit. I feel like we can do this pretty. I think it's gonna be snappy. I think it's gonna be like a tight like hour. Which saying that we've already been talking for thirty minutes, but and that's just because we've missed each other. Um, we missed each other so much. I missed you. Okay, so the movie, as the name would imply, is about the Tenenbaums, who are a relatively wealthy family. Who live in? Did they say where they live? No, no, it's not clear where they. No, where they it's live. just like it's like New Yorkish town, New York. Like I don't know. It, it feels like somewhere, yeah, on on like the East Coast, probably very neighborhood. You know, maybe maybe they're in Queens. Uh, right. So the movie opens up as they are in the midst. Uh, the patriarch of matriarch of this family, royal Tenenbaum. And Ethelene Tenenbaum, who are separating because of Royal's many infidelities and failings as a parent and father and uh, husband. Well, yeah, the whole point of the movie, not to spoil anything, is that Royal's like a piece of shit. Right. Royal and Ethelene are getting separated. The movie opens up with uh, Royal telling his three children this. They then sort of go through like introducing the three children and sort of like laying out like who they are, like what their deals are, uh, the specific ways that their relationship with their father is dysfunctional. So you have Chaz played as an adult by Ben Stiller. It is who... actually Ben Stiller's. He's at his most gorgeous. He He's a, he's a, he's a good looking fella in this movie. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Ben Stiller. Like you see him in like these kind of movies where it's like, Oh, it's Ben Stiller. Goofy, funny man. And this one, you just get to like sort of appreciate his bones. Yeah, um, his his beautiful curls. So yeah, Ben, sort of a a a young numbers whiz, an accounting genius as a child. I think they say that he like sets up his own like accounting firm or something like as a young child. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, sort of does it, you know, in conjunction with his father, who ends up stealing a bunch of money from him, and then later on in life, Chaz sues him twice, I think, as yeah. a result of this. And so Chaz and uh, Royal definitely have, like, the most estranged relationship, because Chaz just, like, actively hates his father because of that, and also an incident as a child where Royal shot him with a BB, which is still embedded in Chaz's hand. Super disgusting. Um, then you also have, oh yeah, Chaz, Chaz as an adult also has two children, um, whose mother tragically died merely a year prior to the events of the film in a plane accident, which the children, Ari and Uzi, survived, um, along with the dog Buckley, but their mother died. And so now he's sort of like in the midst of having a nervous breakdown and he's like super paranoid and like makes the kids do like fire drills like every morning. And yeah, because he's paranoid that the apartment is going to burn down. So that's Chaz. You also have Margot Tenenbaum. Played by Madame Goop herself, <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow, who um, at this point in her life was not hawking fake medicine. Not yet, but you could tell she was about to. You can see it rolling around in that brain. She's got goop on the mind. <laughs> so Margot is the adopted daughter of uh, Royal and Ethelene, um, who was like as a child like a prodigious like 
a, a, a genius like playwright basically like started out from a very young age like writing plays and yeah was hailed as like a prodigy mm-hmm. um never quite got her adopted father's approval who always sort of like dangled it over her head that she was his adopted daughter yeah he always introduces her that way to strangers yeah she you know he he goes on outings with his like two sons and you know she doesn't get invited along so um she smokes she's by she's pretty good she's married to bill murray <laughs> she's married to bill murray and it happens to the best of us Does um it? <laughs> Well, it happens to Gwyneth Paltrow, and then <laughs> selling that goop. So, <laughs> Richie Tenenbaum is the third child, and he is like so. He starts out as a kid as like a genius sort of painter, not a genius painter. He starts out like he's he's an artist, as a painter. He's not a great painter. Um, he like exclusively paints paintings of Margot because he's totes in love with her, which is a big plot point in the movie. Yeah. They and he sort of becomes like a a tennis whiz, a a champion tennis player, but by the time the events of the film have happened, he has sort of had a breakdown on the court and lost the big match, and is now sailing around the world on a boat, writing letters to um Eli. Oh yeah, Richie is Luke Wilson. Eli is the Tenenbaum's like childhood friend, like across the street neighbor who came from a slightly poorer background than them um he's played by owen wilson uh who grows up to be a cowboy a cowboy, <laughs> a cowboy like college novelist professor with novelist a big drug problem yeah that tickled me the brothers do um, you think so yeah we sort of when we were watching we were sort of coming on the fact that it's sort of funny that like they sort of exclusively cast like luke and owen wilson in movies like not as brothers like, even the movie that, like, largely deals with brothers. Like, it's kind of funny that Luke and Owen Wilson being brothers look a lot more alike than Luke Wilson and either of his other, like, fictional siblings. It's so funny because I, I don't think that they look alike at all. So, I'm like, so every time I see them, I'm just like, oh, they have some kind of, they have some kind of relation. <laughs> but they look, I mean, it's, Luke. Luke is definitely a little bit broader, a little bit fuller in the cheeks. He, uh, like, um, o- Owen sort of looks like you maybe drained a little bit of the life force <laughs> from Luke Wilson. He's a little bit more gaunt. He's a little bit, um, more drawling. He's, he, his hair has lightened due to the, uh, the vampiric energy that <laughs> has leached from him a he little does, bit. He does have the vampiric germ. Luke. Um, maybe like, like, uh, Luke Wilson is like Owen Wilson's heartless mm. and Owen is the nobody mm. a little a little bit of a, a gamer reference for you out there I um, don't understand <laughs> so yeah and that's basically them like so it turns, like starts out with them like as kids like it shows like okay these, so these were all like genius children who were kind of like hailed early in life and then like as they got older and their father left their lives and they all sort of like burned out early they are now sort of like not quite losers but like failed geniuses as adults like no longer held as geniuses and they're all kind of like nervous rocks in different ways yeah that's definitely that's definitely a phenomenon because it's like they're they're celebrated so much as children and then like and then they kind of they peak at a very young age so they don't 
So it's like they don't have the same, they're not treated the same way. They're not like able to relate to the world in the same way. I think that's like, it's, it's super real. And they, they're like all really, they're all really directionless and, and aimless for their own reasons, but you know, some more valid than others. And they're just kind of like, they're just kind of messy and weird. They're messy. And it's a like, messy family. They have, I find them, I find all three of the children very unpleasant. Um, though I do, I do like Margot the best. Um, yeah. I think that probably comes from like, from me watching this at the age of 17. Um, right. Because she you just has like, like a duckling. Yeah, exactly. Cause I was like, I also do my eyeliner wrong and stare at nothing and have, and have trouble expressing my feelings. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, they all like, they set that up. There's Ethelene, their mother and Royal is their father. And then there's Henry who is Ethelene's, accountant slash he immediately proposes to her and he's played by Danny Glover. And one of my four notes is Danny Glover is so gorgeous. He is very he's beautiful. So gorgeous. He's the only beautiful person in this movie. He's so, he's so beautiful. And I like, I was just like, I was just, I was tickled. I was tickled by his presence. Cause I forgot about it. And, um, Henry proposes to Ethelene. Um, Ethelene eventually accepts, but Royal like comes out of nowhere. Um, cause he's like, he has, he's totally estranged from the family. Nobody's talked to him for years. And he like right. comes back because he gets kicked out of the hotel that he's been living in since. Right. Like at this point, <laughs> like, yeah, it's been, I think it's been like 17 years or it's either been 17 or like 22 years or something since like um royal and ethylene who was played by angelica houston forgot to mention that i love her um separate it's um, been 22 years point, 22 years yeah okay and it's been it's 22 years and i think it's been 17 years since like he's talked to his kids or something like that I it's think been so seven too. years since uh royal and ethylene have talked he's sort of he's living in this hotel he doesn't he's broke he hasn't been paying any of his bills at the hotel so they end up kicking him out um around the same time he yeah like you said he he finds out that uh ethylene and henry are not quite engaged yet but engaged that to be engaged. henry proposed to ethylene and ethylene's considering it because uh pagoda who is the tenenbaum's servant i don't like to think of him as their servant but he's not quite but, their butler. like who else is he it's like that's that's another beef i have with this movie they have like they just have like Two men of color. One of them is Danny Glover, the most beautiful man in the world, and one of them is is Pagoda, who is, um, in some regards, Daisy. And I think that later on they say that Royal met him in Calcutta, and I guess just brought him home. Right. But like, <laughs> so, like so, I mean, it's sort of like yeah, it's not like a huge part of the movie and I guess in a way it is because like a big part of the movie is that Pagoda has stayed on like working with the Tenenbaum family after Royal left, but he's still got like a ton of loyalty to Royal. So he kind of like lets him know like what's going on with the family. He's the one who tells Royal um, about, yeah, Henry. He's a double and agent. Ethelene getting together. Yeah. Um, yeah. You do find out later that yeah, sort of their backstory is that 
um, Royal met Pagoda in Calcutta because Pagoda was a hired assassin who was there <laughs> to kill him and then stabbed him and then uh, carried him on his back to the hospital. And they've sort of been like inseparable since then. That was kind of funny. Um, <laughs> so Royal like wants to reconnect with his family basically because he has nowhere else to go. He's like incredibly selfish. That's his whole thing. Um, right. Like ostensibly it's because like he wants to reconnect with his family and like he wants to somehow reconnect like with his wife. Cause they are still married. They're separated by the divorce. Yeah. That's, that's the other big part is that like Henry and Ethelene can't quite get married yet because Royal and Ethelene are not divorced yet. Um, Royal will not serve Ethelene the papers. And so he kind of moves back in cause he gets jelly. Um, but also mostly, mostly to get back with his family. Also mostly, Secretly, mostly because he got kicked out of his apartment, yeah. his hotel, and has nowhere else to go. Yeah. So you like um, every, and also all three of the kids are not living in the house, but they all end up back living back in the house for unrelated reasons. Um, uh, Chaz with his two kids, Ari and Uzi, like come back because Chaz like freaks out about living living in their apartment. He thinks it's not safe. He comes and stays at the house. And then Margo right. also comes back because she like hates her husband and who can blame her. And right. Margo um, and, uh, Bill Murray sort of are on the out. Raleigh St. Clair. Um, <laughs> I do so love she his moves name. Back home, gets away from him. So Chaz and Margo end up moving back. Richie is on a boat. And he's um, depressed. Somewhere. And he's super depressed. He's, uh, yeah, like I said, he's writing letters to Eli, um, his brother in real life, but his <laughs> childhood best friend in the movie. Let, like, and just, like the movie, like when you when you first see Richie, he's like narrating a letter where he's like admitting to Eli that like he's come to the realization that he's in love with Margot. Eli, unbeknownst to Richie, is having an affair with Margot. Also unbeknownst to Bill Murray, and so Eli sort of tells Margot this about Eli, that he's in love with her, about this letter that he wrote. Um, it's just like, yeah, isn't that weird? Uh, don't tell him I said that, though. He's not to tell anybody. So it's sort of like, yeah, kind of trying to, like, sabotage this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, Which means so, yeah, he so already he finds, saw it so, as a threat. Right. So, yeah, he... So that's sort of, like, their thing that's going on. He ends up coming back after... Uh, so Royal's method for getting back in with his family is he meets Ethelene on the street and she at first doesn't want to talk to him, but then he like tells her that he is uh, dying. That he has stomach cancer and he has six weeks to live. And so he wants to get back in touch with his family. He's not actually dying at all, but he tells Ethelene he is. Um, so Ethelene, yeah, ends up telling all of her children about this. Um, Richie comes back after yeah receiving word about his father dying because out of the three of them like he sort of has the best relationship with his dad yeah. like they haven't talked since his you know big loss at the tennis championships or whatever but he also like seems the most like still desperate for his father's approval like he hasn't written royal off yet like they have like not a bad relationship when they meet up yeah Chaz and Margo are both on the outs with their dad um, right, Richie sort of has like he's self-hating enough that like he kind of kind of blames himself yeah. for his father's um, distance from him. Yeah, Royal, since he has nowhere else to go, he kind of ends up moving back into the family house. He moves in all his medical equipment and all that his fake medical equipment. It's real medical equipment, but he doesn't need it. He's got a uh, bellhop at the hotel he's been living in for years that he was recently got evicted from. Who he has posing as his doctor. Um, <laughs> Chaz is pissed because he doesn't want him living in the house and because he, he hates his dad. 
because again, because he shot him um, and stole a bunch of money from him. So yeah, and at that point, like it's just like Royal's living in the house. He's trying to simultaneously kind of get back in with his three kids, but failing because he hasn't quite come to terms with the fact of what a horrible father he was yet. A real piece um, of shit. He is trying to also get in the way of Henry and Ethelene's relationship, um, trying to sabotage them, like getting in arguments with Henry. Um, calling him Coltrane. Calling him, yeah, being kind of racist. Um, and a little racist. He, a little bit racist. A little bit racist, Gene. A Gene little. Hackman reading little. that script. Mr. I see Hackman. You. I see you so, gleefully calling Danny Glover Coltrane. I saw. Couldn't so wait. So that's what's happening. Um, what else happens? It's kind of a whole movie. Yeah, it's kind of a whole thing. Like, he gets found out. Um, basically, Henry doesn't believe at all that Royal is sick. So he does a bunch of research, um, and he eventually ends up finding out that, like, the hospital he says he went to, like, no longer exists, and that there is no doctor um, going by the name of the doctor, like, on his prescription bottles, which end up being, like, filled with TikToks. Mm. Um, so, yeah, Henry ends up bringing this to the family's attention. Uh, Royal gets kicked out. Everybody's pissed at him. Um. Oh. What else happens? So, Richie and Raleigh St. Clair have, like, a... Um, a PI following Margot to see who she's right. who she's been affairing with. Right, Margot's having the affair with Eli. Um, Eli's in love with Margot. Margot's not in love with Eli. Um, he, yeah, uh, Raleigh Bill Murray comes to Richie um, and confines in him that he thinks that Margot's having an affair. Richie freaks out. Um, they hire because he is in love with Margot as well. Um, they hire a PI, the PI follows her around, like, and then basically, like, spills the beans to them that, one, that she's a smoker, which nobody knows about. She's been smoking since the age of 12. <laughs> you get, like, a montage of just, like, her life. Like, she started smoking. She ran away from home at, like, 14 to, like, meet her um, birth family. Um, ends up getting her finger chopped off because they're, like, I don't know, they're hicks living in the woods. <laughs> and they chop off her finger accidentally with an axe because they're splitting wood i don't know uh she and then they just have like an extended montage of like all of her affairs over the years um she gets married at age 19 to a guy in jamaica um she has a brief affair um in the rive gauche with a woman can you pronounce that rive gauche i have no idea well i think it's gauche i think it's gauche gauche, she gauche. Well, she's in france yeah um she has an affair i don't know just d different different there's a montage of like different people she's like making out with yeah um the last one um being eli and then on a bus <laughs> she has right. a bunch of weird like bus affairs right exactly it's like she's not even like having affairs necessarily just like a bunch of like her hooking up with like random people in like random places yeah um yeah i've and then after that, um, Richie attempts suicide, and it's horrible. And then, um, <laughs> I, I will say that yeah, this this so yeah, Richie finds out about this. Like Raleigh's depressed. Richie locks himself in the bathroom, um, shaves off his hair, <laughs> shaves off his beard. Um, because of this movie, every single time I shave, really. I can't. <laughs> get that song out of my head the needle in the hair needle in the hair 
Uh, it's an extended like yeah, slow like sad scene of him like shaving like while Neil and Hay is playing and he like that. slits his wrist and like tries oh, to oh, kill oh. himself it's horrible it's so horrible and like I um yeah but I was into it when I was 17 and depressed oh of course of course we all were yeah. we all were I remember watching that scene for the first time when I was, it was my first year of college. I was sitting in the student center and I was waiting for class for like a class. And I was watching the Royal Tenenbaums as one does. And that's like, I didn't, I, I don't think I'd ever seen it before. Um, so I didn't know that was coming. And I was just like, Oh my God, I'm in public. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> I just wasn't expecting it to happen. And I was really, I was really affected. Um, right. I mean, so yeah, not, I mean, not to like make light of suicide in any way whatsoever, but as a angsty, self-absorbed, depressed teenager who was not suicidal, but did think the idea of seeing, being suicidal was appealing because I was the worst. It looks so twee. See, this is why movies. West films it in such a way that, like, it really appealed to a yeah, like sixteen, seventeen year old Alex in a way that probably shouldn't for a teenager. Um, Again, not to make light of suicide or suicidal ideation in any way whatsoever. Just like when you are a depressed teen, sometimes needle in the hay gets stuck in your head for the rest of your life. It's every time you shave. Say that. Because, like, I I have had like suicidal ideation and stuff. So, like, I think. As a, as a person who has that context, I think you're fine. <laughs> um, yeah, because, like, I don't know, like, it, it makes it look so, like, I remember feeling especially affected by that scene because it looks so, like, crisp and, like, and gorgeous. And, like, it's such a, right. and it's such a, like, process. It's a and very it's, like, a artistic, whole... well, well, well choreographed, uh. A suicide attempt. Well done, Weston. Well done. Because yeah, way to go, dude. It's like I I feel like because it's I'm sure that was the intention, right? Like right. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that sort of thing. It's like it kind of stands out from the rest of the film too, because like I feel like one, the music choice feels a little like mm-hmm. off base with the rest of the soundtrack. It feels a little bit. I don't know when that song came out, but it feels a little bit more modern. It's not quite as like twee, sort of bubblegummy, like '60s '70s pop. Yeah. Like the rest of it sort of is like Rolling Stones, that kind of thing. And yeah, just the way it's shot, like it's definitely like really stark, like vivid, like blue, white lighting in the bathroom. It's really close up, like high definition, like you can see all of his pores and stuff like that. That's Whereas horrible. the rest of the movie is kind of like a little bit fuzzier. It's a little bit more, it's warm colors. It's a little bit, uh, yeah, softer, it feels like. So this scene definitely like stands out a lot. It's because, like pointy. I mean, it would be such an exhausting movie to watch if, like, you watched a movie that was filmed in the way the scene was filmed, like, the entire way through. Oh, I'd hate it even more. But, I do kind of hate yeah, it. Yeah, in the midst of this other, like, warm pastel yellow ocean, it definitely stands out. Yeah, for sure. Anyways. So, um, so Richie ends up in the hospital <laughs> because he, uh, yeah, attempts suicide. He really slits the shit um, out of himself. It's horrible. Yeah. Um, he, uh... We're gonna have to throw a little a little warning on this episode. I I take. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, um, he ends up yeah. So he ends up in the hospital. This kind of like brings the family back together again. Um, they all rush there. 
to see him. Um, Royal at this point, he's got a job at the hotel he got kicked out of um, after getting kicked out of his family home again. So him and also Pagoda. Pagoda also got kicked out for uh, helping Royal. Um, he also stabs him a second time. I forgot to mention that. <laughs> they, but they both get kicked out and then Pagoda calls him a son of a bitch and stabs him with like a little pocket knife. And then they like get in the taxi cab together and like go back to, I don't know, an apartment or the hotel or something and Pagoda fixes them up. And... Same too. Well, that friendship can weather storms. <laughs> like this is the last time you stick a knife in me. <laughs> So yeah, they so he patched them up. So both of them are now working as bellhops at the hotel. Um, Royal finds out that Richie is in the hospital. Pagoda and Richie like rush off to the hospital. Um, Pagoda and Royal, you mean? So they're all in the hospital. Um, Raleigh St. Clair ends up like confronting Margot about her affair and about her smoking, which she sort of admits to. And then he leaves. She ends up going back home, um, back to the Tenenbaum house. At the same time as this is happening, Richie also like checks himself out of the hospital, which you're definitely not allowed to do. If you just tried to commit suicide, they definitely like put a hold on you. I feel like <laughs> I, I don't think you're allowed like immediately after to suicide just leave. Attempt, like, check yourself out. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know the laws on that, but it it doesn't feel great. Um, <laughs> I and then yeah, this is the part where so they they're in this tent. That is inside of the yeah. house because it's all very quirky, and um, they profess love to one another and they kiss and it's horrible. And then Margot is like leaving and she's like, "I think we have to be like secretly in love with each other for a while." And I was like, "Ding ding ding!" Right. Like they they both sort of come to the realization that like yeah, like they are both in love with each other, but like there's no way that like they can actually like do this like even though like so they're they're brother and sister but they're you know she's adopted they're not related by blood it's um it's horrible but it's also yeah i mean this happens a lot in our movies doesn't it's it it's the reason i chose this movie because it's all i remembered they adopted her when she was two so it's like right. they like no matter how you no matter how how you look at it they grew up together as siblings right so i guess that's like, the thing is that like they like i feel like maybe we get into this a little bit early we are, we are. i was like but I, I just got to say really quick that like yeah, it's not quite the same as like clueless or any of those other movies that do feature like this like sort of sibling relationship because in most of those like in, in clueless like specifically they aren't related and also like they didn't grow up together yeah they your parents were married briefly and then separated and yeah, then they sort of ended up having a romantic relationship. <laughs> Anyways, um, so they do that, and then um, Royal like decides to stop being on this bullshit a little bit. And then Ethelene and Henry are gonna get married, and Richie like visits. Oh, Royal gets a job like as a as a an elevator operator at a hotel and Richie visits him. Right. So they go to so they go to confront Eli about his drug problem. And then and <laughs> Yeah, they, they they go to have like an intervention. Like he's in the middle of like a huge drug deal with like <laughs> these like foreign like businessmen or something like that. Like there's like a ridiculous amount of like drugs there's on the so table. Much when cocaine they, like, walk on the table. In. So this so they come in and they tell him like and he's like, Yeah, you're right. Oh you know what? I like I definitely I do need 
help and he's like let me go to the bathroom real quick and like goes to the bathroom <laughs> and then like immediately has like escaped out the window and the next shot is him just like them looking out the window and he's like running down the street yeah and then so then it's it's ethylene and henry's wedding day and everybody's getting ready and then um uh and then eli is like driving recklessly down the street and he crashes into the front of the house <laughs> he, he's got like war paint on he's he's like painted up his face like a, a i don't know a native american like but not like really. he's on drugs he's, he's wearing like racist <laughs> makeup he's wearing his cowboy hat this is a whole thing i don't know if we i don't think we've accentuated this about owen wilson in this movie to the proper extent that he's a cowboy he's wearing some cowboy shit he's the rootinest tootinest cowboy in the wild west truly he is writes like westerns he's, <laughs> he's an author and he doesn't write like good westerns like they're critically panned but they make a lot of money so he's like really rich which is how he affords all these drugs he like wears like a cowboy hat and like he speaks with like a country drawl and like he wears like those coats that they wear that are like suede and have like danglies on the arms like yeah. the cowboys do he's wearing it all <laughs> do you think that when they made night at the museum <laughs> whoever directed that movie had just finished watching the real tenenbaums and they were like and was we better <laughs> so smitten with Owen Wilson's portrayal of a cowboy. He was like, I need more of this. I need to make a movie. Like, I need I need this cowboy to be in my museum film. But it can't be the same character, so he's gotta be tiny. Yeah, I mean, that's how they really got it. And then they had been still around the hook too. Right. They they wanted to get like so they they got Owen, couldn't get Luke. Could not get Luke. Luke. Luke, Luke said, had a death disappointment. Luke said, my acting career is over. Luke couldn't make the filming. He lost his needle in some hay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he was looking for that. Had to. So he couldn't make it. They got Ben Stiller instead. Can him get the real brother, got the fake brother. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> I think that really explains a lot. It is. It's perfect. Um. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so Eli crashes <laughs> crashes the car and it's my f- it's like my favorite margot margot part because she's just like sitting in the window while her mom gets ready for her own wedding and and he crashes in, into the house and ethylene is like emoting properly she's like oh my gosh what just happened and margot's just like eli crashed the car into the front of the house like <laughs> <laughs> she- right so uh yeah royal was outside with uh ari and uzi um, and their dog. Um, but Royal ended up like pushing the kids out of the way. He saves their lives. Um, the dog does get run over. Mm-hmm. Can't save the dog. So Chaz runs out. Like the kids are okay. The dog's dead. Royal's okay. Um, Eli. Oh yeah. Eli like crashes through the windshield of the car and like lands inside the house. Mm-hmm. So he like pokes his head out and he's like, is everyone okay? <laughs> and then Chaz like chases him down and like beats the shit out of him in the backyard and like throws him over a wall. Good, and then honestly. he turns around, the whole family is, like, watching him, like, watch him freak out, and then he jumps over the wall, and then Eli and Chaz are just lying there on the ground, and they both, like, agree that, like, they need help. I I don't know why, but I really love Chaz. <laughs> he's, I mean, he's, I mean, his only, like, fault in the movie is that 
he is he, he's overprotective he's paranoid but like not without good reason like he, they yeah. literally just like experience this huge traumatic event of like losing his wife and the mother of his children in this like plane crash that his kids almost died into yeah i mean like it, it makes so a lot of sense he's paranoid he he's having he like yeah a mental breakdown like related to this because he hasn't like dealt with it in a healthy way at all he mm. is pissed at um royal but like also like not for bad reason because royal was like an awful father and like stole a bunch of money from him and like shot him yeah so like he doesn't like he like he has faults in the movie but all of his faults seem very like justified he's like for being like the least balanced person in the movie he (laughs) is also somehow the most balanced yeah i mean like Like, it's he doesn't seem artistically imbalanced he seems just like realistically imbalanced yeah and it's like it's established early on that like Richie is is Royal's favorite of the chi- of the kids, so it's like like they go to dog fights together and like spend spend a lot of time together, and that like the other two are not like invited to to do with him. Um, so like it makes sense also that um, that Richie would be the one who like connects with Royal as an adult and also why like Chaz would have these, like these resentments and, and Margot too. But, um, like Margot, especially because like he, he always like made sure that she knew and that everybody knew that she like was not really a part of the family. Um, so anyway, um, that happens, and then uh, basically they just kind of reschedule the wedding, and then every everybody's happy at the end. I don't know. Right. So he, yeah, Royal like replaces the dog that got killed. He like buys the Labrador Dalmatian. It's definitely a Dalmatian. Um, I forgot the names of dogs for a second there. It's a Dalmatian. He buys the Dalmatian from the really fireman who respond to like the one. car crash. Um, buys it for Chaz and his kids to replace their dog. Um, since yeah. Royal, like, saved his kid's life and buys them a new dog. Like, Chaz sort of, like, ends up forgiving Royal a little bit. And he also, like, I think he ends up, like, it's implied that, like, after this point, he, uh, Chaz ends up, prob- I don't think they say it in the movie, but he probably ends up getting therapy. Hmm. Ends up, like, he, he, yeah, ends up, like, being able to confront his wife's death a little bit. He loosens up with his kids. Like, you get to see, like, him and royal and ari and uzi are all like riding along like on the side of a like garbage truck like hitching a ride on the side of it like laughing yeah. having a good time it's cute uh, then royal dies yes um, he oh, has yeah. a heart attack at the age of 68 um and Chaz is the only one who was there with him when he died he ends up like riding in the ambulance with him and holds his hand like as royal dies and so their relationship is sort of like repaired. Yeah, it's uh, Royal sort of dies sure. happy. He dies like with a smile on his face because like he's there with like his son, and he sort of got to like reconnect with his family. Yeah, uh, it's a touching, it's a touching scene. It, it is. It's, it makes you a little bit teary eyed. It is. I yeah, I, I definitely felt felt emotions as I was watching that. Those, I feel gives you I, big moods. I feel feelings like a normal human being. Um, Number feelings. No, I mean I yes, feelings, I yes, like I, a, like a like a fourteen year old child. <laughs> so yeah so that happens royal dies um and yeah the family has sort of like learned to confront their shitty upbringing sort of forgiving each other for like each other's faults in a way uh they bury royal um according to his will he's buried at dusk and his um 
headstone says that he died tragically, saving his family from the wreckage of a destroyed sinking battleship. <laughs> and yeah, that's sort of the sort of is that the end of the movie? Is that uh... what happens? And then they so you sort of get an epilogue, like they show you like what happens, like uh Henry and Ethelene end up getting married. Um Margot like writes another play and which gets mixed reviews but still she's like back she hasn't written a uh, play in a long time when the mm. movie started so she writes another play she's kind of like producing again um eli is in rehab um richie is being richie <laughs> no richie richie starts like he ends up like coaching kids like teaching kids how to play tennis they all seem to be on the up and up and Margot, yeah, there are a couple more times where like Margot and Richie are like leaning on one another intimately before the movie. Right, is they, uh, you get to, you get this, the, one of the final scenes in the movie is them like on the roof where uh, Richie is. Oh, we didn't even mention the hawk. Richie has a hawk. Uh, Mordecai. Go on, Mordecai. <laughs> it's not important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like a birder. Yeah. Um. They're on the roof. Uh. He and Margot. Yeah. So like leaning on each other. Like Margot like pulls out a pack of cigs that like she hid there like ten years ago under a brick, and they like smoke these like awful rot on like ten year old like moldy cigars. They must be so disgusting. Anyways. Right. Uh, They smoke and yeah. Yeah. So they're still secretly in love with each other. All right, let's get in. Let's get into it. I need to get into it. We're finally done talking about the plot synopsis. That's that's the plot. That's that's the Royal Tenenbaums. Thanks, Wes, for the movie. Let's get beloved by former teenagers to roll over gender politics. Actually, I think it's the We Shop channel theme. <laughs> Perfect. So let's talk about the relationship in this movie, which we've already kind of talked about. Margot? Yeah, I feel like I feel like that is <sighs> that is what it is. Right, Margot and Eli. <sighs> Fuck. Richie, Margot and Richie's really, I don't know why, he just looks more like an Eli than Owen <laughs> Wilson does. I feel like he's like emotionally more of an Eli. To, right, like their name, and like Richie seems more like the name of like a wannabe cowboy who does drugs. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That it, like, it's, it's just the, the names in my head, like Owen Wilson just looks more like a Richie, Luke looks more like an Eli. I can't help that. It's, it's not really, my fault. It's not your fault. I refuse. I re- if somebody right now tried to tell you that it was your fault, I would strike them down. <laughs> Thanks for coming to bat for me. Anytime. I would die for you. So, uh, battle. Richie and Margot's relationship is definitely, like, the biggest, like, romantic driving factor in the movie. It is. There are others. Um, there, I mean, so, like, there's, like, the big one. This is actually sort of a, uh, first for us, I think, in that, like, the sort of biggest romantic relationship in this movie, which would be the one between, like, Royal and Ethelene, has already imploded by the time. Yeah. Like, their hat nonsense has already come to a head. And we want nothing like, to do with it. We are already sorting through the wreckage. Um, you've also got the relationship between, uh, Henry and Ethelene. Yes. Um, another, like, big romantic one. 
Yeah, they're not bad. They're like, I mean, I think they're great. Right. Like relationships go like they're they're pretty good. They're good for each other. Yeah, like I think their relationship is like a little weird because they're not together. And then Henry like just like proposes to Ethelene, and she's like, "Oh, I never thought of that before." Right, um, like which they, is they fair like because they're not together. Like he's been like her accountant for the past ten years or whatever. Yeah, he also like proposes to her in a really funny way where he's like, "So like regarding like my." uh I don't know, suggestion regarding, like, taxes or something like that. Like, he, he, he frames it in, like, a really weird way where, like, he first says that she should divorce Royal, like, for tax benefits. Yeah. And then um, she says it doesn't make any sense. And then he proposes to her and says that he's in love with her. Yeah. And she's like, oh, that's surprising. Yeah. So and it then... does, like, it does take her some time to accept, but, like, it feels fair. That feels fair to, to right, say. Like, she doesn't, like, <laughs> she doesn't, like, say yes. She doesn't say no. She's like, oh, like, let me think about this. Yeah. And he's like, okay. So there's, like, taking some time to, like, process this potential change in their relationship. Yeah, I think that's really, and I think that's really fair on both of their parts. Like, they both process that pretty fairly. Um... Because, like, I was actually just having a conversation about this, like, um, because I could see, like, a lot of people sort of, like, professing love or something and, like, freaking out when the other person doesn't accept, like, doesn't return it right away. Because, I mean, that happens for sure. Um, So I find their love incredibly healthy, even though it is a little unorthodox because, like, Henry says, I love you, not to hear it back necessarily, but because he feels it and that's how we know that this love has staying power baby exactly so i'm really really i mean they're a little bit older they're both like previously married yeah and they both uh, have kids like and ethylene and then henry uh was previously married and his wife uh, died of stomach cancer which is, which how, is he knows. how he knows that royal cancer full is shit. because he's like eating walking around and, like eating like three cheeseburgers a day <laughs> Oh, Royal. Um, so yeah, and I feel like Royal is like, <sighs> Royal is trying to get Ethelene back, but I don't really feel like he's that, um, like it doesn't feel like that genuine of an attempt. Like it feels more like he wants her back so that he can live in the house, like, and right. not be homeless. Like it doesn't, it seems like, and, and he's like trying to like sit there and intimidate and bother Henry. Because of that, like, so once he abandons that, like, he's able to to divorce Ethelene and give her the life she's always wanted. Right. Um, so, yeah, both of those relationships surrounding Ethelene are really, like, very easily sorted and very easily resolved and spoken about, in my opinion. Although, like, what I don't like about this is that Ethelene, I want to know, I want more about Ethelene. I want to know more about her as she is as a person and not like as she is in regards to like these men who are near her. Right. Um, I mean, sort of get like a little bit of her like backstory. Like, I was going to say like what she used to do, but she's like a paleontologist or something or a forensic scientist. She like digs up bones and like identifies bones. Yeah. She She works with bones largely. She's a, she's a, she's a bone, a bone lady. Um, <laughs> anyways uh, <laughs> you don't know y'all, you, y'all don't know okay you don't know the amount of hard work we put in for you you, you bone don't ladies. appreciate 
what we do, the sacrifices we make for you, for you our out children, there listening, you you don't you don't know. You're ungrateful. You just don't understand. Ungrateful children. That's fine. Ungrateful. I don't do this for the accolades. That's that's true. Because if you did, if either of us did, we probably wouldn't do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I would I, take my like twenty plays, and I'll be happy. I personally have a praise kink, so this is really difficult and not erotic for me at all. Um, so <laughs> I'm sorry to say. So Marco and Richie's relationship is kind of like yeah, the biggest driving I don't know <laughs> plot point in the movie in a way. I feel like I feel bamboozled. Um, I, I felt bamboozled by that as a child, and by child I mean as a seventeen year old. Because I think I was sort of like, like the way that I used to watch movies that had like romantic plots in any form, which is most movies, I'd say, um, was like, yeah, I'm excited for the romance to happen. I'm excited for, for a kiss, perhaps a hug, because I was really into that. But I think like... Really into those hugs. It was. I really love, I loved a good hug. But I think this movie like didn't give me didn't give me that as a as a teen watching it like i was um because like i was more like i wasn't really susceptible to seeing myself or like anything that i could relate to in like ethylene's love life i was more looking toward like the, her children because they were closer to my age so in watching it i was like i feel tricked because i'm getting nothing out of this <laughs> Right. And also, but I'm I'm sure that I found myself like want like wanting them to get together or whatever whatever I felt back in those days because it was all I had in this movie or all I thought I had. Right. So I think like yeah, it, it's really like annoying to come back to this movie and think like uh, probably as a 17 year old I wanted these two siblings to be together. And I can't erase that from my history. And that's so annoying. Right. I mean, it's definitely like, I don't know, it's, it's an appealing thing when you're like in a, a depressed, like probably lovesick teenager, because what teenager is not, I don't know, just the, 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 the longing romance, the uh, un, unrequited love sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, that's super they, they attractive. Sort of them. Yeah. When you're young. Getting together and then deciding not to, and it just like gets you right in the teenage feels. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard out here for a teen. It's hard for a teen. And I think, I'm glad somebody is finally saying <laughs> Things are that. hard enough. Things are really hard enough for teens. You don't have to give me these weird, confusing, like, like incest ships or whatever. I like, Wes. Ugh. Oh, it's so hard. It's so arduous because it's like, it's addressed in the movie. It's addressed in the movie that it's gross and weird. Like, Right. It does get pointed out by like, I think Richie talks to Royal at one point about it. And Royal's like, you know, you're like brother and sister, right? And then Richie's like, yeah, but we're not related. And Royal's like, I guess that's true. Yeah. And it's like, if anybody knows that, it's Royal. But it's also just like, but he like, and like, right after he says that in that conversation, he's like, yeah, I guess, like, there are worse things going on or whatever, like... Right, stranger things have happened. And he's like, she's a great-looking girl. I'm like, oh, God. Uh, that, yeah, that was, that's creepy. <sighs> that was a, that's a creepy line. Whole thing. I forgot about that one. Whole thing. It's like, like, I don't blame you. She's a looker or something she's like a, that. She's I'm a... Like, this is your daughter. Great-looking girl, and she's smart as a whip. And I'm like, all right. All right, girl. And I think, like, 
that like that is is meant to show like the degree of separation that Royal has from her, like that he's had for her entire life. So it would make sense that he would feel like more or less comfortable saying something like that. And also like to have Richie and it, and it further makes sense. Like as like Richie as his favorite would feel that sort of separation from her as well and feel separated enough from her, like in the family structure to like have room in himself to like be in love with her. <sighs> but I still fucking hate it. <laughs> <laughs> like, great. Can you hear like my voice? I'm so like, <laughs> I, I hate, you, I'm just like watching you crumbling. I hate, on I, screen. I hate talking about this. It's like like academically like, like or, like, it looks like you're a cat being like rubbed the wrong direction. You're, you're going against the grain. 100%. This is like, me trying to find like, like like excuses why this gross thing is happening and I just can't stand it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I don't I don't like it at all. So yeah. Like, so that sucks. <laughs> oh yeah, that's kind of it. That's kind of like the only I mean there's also like so like Margot also has like her relationship with like her husband or whatever, but like he's like a non entity basically. Like he basically. shouldn't even like exist. Like he, he like he exists in the film like you know, so that like Margot could be having an affair with somebody else, but like he's yeah not very relevant. Margot doesn't have any like feelings toward him whatsoever. Yeah, arguably she never has. Like, right? I don't. It feels like she probably just married him for the financial stability. Um, right. They don't really ever like go into that. I don't think as like why they got married or like necessarily how they met. Yeah, because he's like significantly older than her. He's Bill Murray. Don't much like that, and it's just kind of like. We're, we're we out here we out here um you know marrying for money no shade at all i would do it in a heartbeat if you are moneyed and listening to this and in the philadelphia area regardless of gender i am on instagram it's a very reliable way to get me anything else to say about this relationship i feel like not really i, I think, think it's I'm like about established done. it's pretty gross it's gross um there's not really much else to it. And I feel like that brings us to like a very to a much to much greener pastures in my opinion. Um right. we've crawled through the muck and now we have crawled out of the muck and now we are drying off from the muck and we're lying in the sweet sunshine. Yes, and now we can talk about Margot's relationship with that French woman. Talk about the gay. Yes, please. Right. The, definitely the most important scene. The most oh. important like five second shot in the film not even it was like one second and it's the most important second of my life Gwyneth Paltrow is smoking on a balcony in France and then like kisses a topless French woman it's wonderful and I feel like it really illustrates her potential and like I I don't like the way that it's um let me back up so this this comes up we already mentioned it but like this comes up in a montage about like First about like all of the things that I things that Margot has been uh, like very private about, like her um, her smoking and her running away and whatever. But then like that very quickly devolves just into like all of the like people that Margot has been with, like romantically, sexually. Right. Um, so like it, it's like she she was married at nineteen for like one one day or something. And she was, when she was like 20, she like was with a woman and then no more women 
So I don't. So like, yeah, that's, that's like a succession of like kind of gross dudes on buses. Yeah, yeah. She really digs the public transportation, and like, you know, the infrastructure can use all the help it can get. So I appreciate it, but it's like, um, but I mean, it's all dudes. So she like, I don't, I do not drive with the fact that her relationship with this woman is like an implied phase, like an implied lesbian phase. Like, you know, everybody goes through it or something or whatever. A a brief dalliance. Right. Like that just doesn't, it doesn't feel that doesn't sit right with me. One does not simply stop. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying that it is impossible. But I feel like um, that isn't like I don't I what I really mean is I don't appreciate it being like touted as as like experimentation as it has been pretty consistently historically in the media and whatever as like, you know, women have like a women have like a a gay phase and then they go right back to men. Meanwhile, men can't have a gay phase and then go right back to women like the like girls like hooking up at like a party and like making out with each other like for labs or for the the benefit of the male gaze. Yeah, this is like 100% male gaze because it's also like um like you never like there's no I just said this but there's like there's no um there's absolutely no stereotype about um, a man having like a gay face and then going right back to women and like that was just a phase or whatever. Like, and that's like, a that's like, you know, a myth, a, a myth by the, um, the cis hetero patriarchy that like the, that having sex with a man is like life altering. Right. And like, no matter who it is having sex with that man, like right. when, as a man, when you have sex with a man, you can never, you can never go back. But when you're a woman having sex with a woman, you can certainly go back. Like, I don't know. I do sort of feel like it is, like, a mild stereotype of, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like you, like, hear things in shows or whatever, not infrequently about, like, people, like, like men specifically, like, experimenting, like, in college or something like that. But it's definitely not to, like, the same. It's not as much of a thing as it is for women. Yeah. Like, not not nearly to the same extent. Like, it, it does happen, but not nearly, Yeah. And, like, more often than not, like, I, I feel like you see it a lot in media where, like, somebody finds out that a dude hooked up with a dude in the past, and it means that they're, like, secretly gay. Yeah. Like, there's no... It's it's definitely, like, very, um, very much a thing. Like, that is, that is, that is also by erasure. It's, like, um... You know, like there's no such thing as a, as a bi man or a bi woman, like bi women are just, um, are just straight women looking for attention and bi men are just gay men trying to be normal or whatever. Um, also like on the, um, on the woman's side, um, it like, like going into back to what you said about it, like sort of being a performance for the male gaze. Um, that reminds me of a story, um, a few weeks ago, um, Han and I, neither of us are women, but of, of course we're perceived that way. But Han and I were walking, walking down, you know, a public street, um, holding hands with each other. And, um, this guy just like, 
this guy who was like walking toward us, like in the opposite direction that we were walking, like just like said, said, eat that pussy to me. Like he was watching porn. (laughs) And I was just like, I, I lost my, I lost my mind for a moment. Like hearing that I felt, I felt so, Oh God, I was so angry, but it was also just kind of like thinking about, I started thinking about all of the things that go into making a comment like that to a complete stranger and all of it, Mm -hmm. like, and what it starts and ends with is the assumption that like, for lack of a better term, gay, gay women are not really gay. They're just like, you know, doing this for your entertainment and for your eye. So like in being perceived, I had not been perceived as a woman in that way for a really long time. It shook me to my core. I was just like, Oh shit. I forgot. I forgot that I moved through this world, like (laughs) sort of looking like a woman and looking like I'm in a relationship with a woman, even though like neither of us are. And like, I so badly wanted to just like, (laughs) I, there were two, two thoughts. I had two thoughts. Like one of them is always to just be like, be like, well, actually, I'm a little boy, so you're gay. But also, like, um, <laughs> the uh, there's the urge to make myself bigger and the urge to make myself smaller. Right. So, like, through all of that, I was just kind of like, God, that makes me like never want to do anything ever again. Right? Never ever like I, appear. Like, in public. I never, never want to be perceived ever again but also i want to fucking curb stomp this man (laughs) (laughs) and yeah i mean that's that's what um that's like an extension of of this like the like the sort of the assumption that two women or people who are perceived as women um cannot be genuinely attracted to one one another there's not there's nothing real about that connection it is only like it is only meant for consumption and for the male gaze that's like that's my my beef with the way that montage was set up and also i want to i want like i want 150,000 more details about this relationship that marco had with this one right that's all i got <laughs> right. I was just like, I was just, like, I don't know. Like, I was, I was gonna, I was gonna trying to think of it's like, do I want like a whole nother movie about this? I feel like that movie probably exists, like in varying forms. Do I want like just like I don't know? The, instead of the rest of the montage, I want this to be like what the montage is about. I don't know, but yeah, definitely like more, or at least just like more variants and like the people in the montage. You know, like like split up the gross dudes on the bus with like an equal number of like gross women on the bus. Women can be gross in a bus too. Yeah, yeah, they can for sure. I think like I want. I feel like because I I think like that the suggestion in that montage is that it was just like a phase for her. But what I really mm-hmm. want is like is actual confirmation that Marco is bisexual and right. Like I think like part of that. Like, I understand also, like, the purpose of including that in a montage, like, so so flippantly was to be like, look at all the stuff that Marco was secretive about. She doesn't, like, she doesn't tell anybody about anything. Nobody knew that she was a lesbian for a hot second, whatever, whatever. Right. It's not even, like, in- inclusion. Yeah. In any way, it's 
put in there like almost as a joke like it's put in there like as something like scandalous that she's done in the past like yeah. her like hooking up with a woman in france is um put in there as like something on the same level with like the fact that like she's been like a smoker since she was 12 yeah it's just like it's like it's like it's like it's one of her dirty little secrets the layers the layers of her secrecy also looks like it's just like i don't know i can imagine just like Weston on the other side of the camera, like <laughs> ogling Gwyneth. Who knows how Kiss many takes more. they had to do? Yeah, so it's like it's like, yeah, it's a weird sort of thing of like wanting more of this, wanting more of this like gay or bi representation. I want in more Marvel's and past, less. and but also like not wanting Wesley to be the one giving it to me. Yeah, yeah, like I want... Not wanting him to be giving it to me for the reasons he's giving it to me. I feel like we could probably find some pretty good fan fiction about this. Because um, you know lesbians get into it. They will cling to any kernel they can. And that is yeah, why if anybody out there has written a, uh, a, a fanfic um, expounding on uh, Margot's relationship um, in the Brive Gauche. It's... Feel free to send that our way. Send that to our Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, please do. I think like oh, that would that would go down smooth. A little tasteful lesbian erotica, romantic, like just perfect. So um, yeah, so we'd want more of this. Mm-hmm. We want we want more of this aspect of Margot's persona. Yeah, I... personality. But just not in the form that it has been presented to us. I would just so rather in the form of written fiction. I would just so rather um, she was gay than in love with her brother. Right. Uh, the only other thing that I wanted to sort of, um, I mean, I guess there were a couple of like things. One of them was smaller than the other. That's true. Um, one, and there's not like too much in the movie itself to support it. They do. Uh, there's Royal and Ethelina separated. You do get the indication that it's because Royal cheated on Ethelene a lot. Mm. They do never say who he cheated on her with. So I'm just going to assume that he had a succession of like male lovers. <laughs> like he had just as many like gross dudes. He was oh. making that with on buses. Oh, I feel great about his, that. Like PI flashback montage as uh, Margot did. Wow. Um, oh, I, I love that. Oh, you know what? That really tracks for me too, because like he definitely, he has genuine love for Ethelene, but he doesn't, he definitely like doesn't um, like it doesn't really feel necessarily like he's attracted to her, um, right. but also his his his, uh, his attraction to her feels largely possessive. Yeah, like he he just wants to he sort of just wants to like own her more than he wants to like be with her or have her right. as a partner. That's probably anyway. why. Right. Um, and but also like he's personality wise and physically. Like, I could see him in, like, an illicit bathhouse. Right. With, with boys. Am I, am I saying that in their younger days, perhaps he was in this illicit bathhouse with Pagoda? Who knows? Has Pagoda stabbed him more times than <laughs> elucidated? The on two screen? have a very symbiotic relationship. But they do, they are very close. Inseparable. Like, because yeah. in spite of the fact that, Pagoda stabbed him. They stay in the Y together. Right, they stay in the Y. They work together. They are partners in business. 
and partners and he stabs in life. him, but then he like dresses his wound, like royal, like lifts his shirt, and if like that... go to like fixes his his knife wound for him. If and that is not a metaphor, if that know? is not a metaphor for love and how it can hurt you, yeah. but then also soothe you, wow! Exactly, you're continually stabbing someone, but then also bandaging their abdomen. Ugh, I do it every that's day. What that's what is, baby love is. It's oh gosh, wow. Okay, so there's that. Um, the only other thing is. Um, as we ex- discussed extensively, Richie and Margot are secretly in love with each other. It's horrible. Um, Margot is having this affair with Eli, who is ostensibly in love with uh, Margot, even though Eli or Margot feels no one way or the other about it. Um, you also get, like we said, Richie has been writing letters to Eli, um, you know, while he's on his like ocean cruise around the world. Um, my take on all of this thing is that so there's there's a there's a line where um margot and rich you're talking about margot's relationship with eli and she says that mostly what they did when she was with eli was eli would talk about richie mm-hmm. and she said that that was probably what the appeal of eli was for her was that he was constantly talking about richie Whoa. my take on all of this <laughs> is that eli is maybe projecting a little bit onto Margot in that actually the person he's in love with is Richie. Mm. But Richie is unattainable. Richie is in love with Margot. The only way that Eli can be close to Richie is by getting with Margot, who does not care for Eli strongly one way or the other. Oh. Eli, who extensively discusses Richie exclusively whenever he is with Margot, who, who he is extensively in love with. So... I mean, and that's another, like, romantic sort of thing, is that, like, you get this image of, like, Richie, like, on an ocean liner or whatever, like, writing these letters to his, like, childhood best friend and all that. Um, that's that's romantic. That's a romantic thing. That appeals to letters, me in a way. Letters are romantic. Letters from a boat? Letters from a boat? Boat letters? From a boat? Boat letters. That's what they call them. Um, <laughs> that's what I've always called them. Now, I know what you're going to say, and it's... But Alex, Owen, and Luke Wilson are brothers. But Alex, and Owen, and my, Luke Wilson my, are brothers. My response to that is, that's a very good point. I mean, it's the truth, but also their characters aren't brothers. Like Their characters are not brothers, I no. Think, and not, I'm not saying I want Owen and Luke Wilson to kiss on screen. Never, that is the last, I say such a thing. the last thing I would want. But all I'm saying is that I think there's a little bit of room for interpretation here and the way these characters relate to each other. I think that, oh, wow. Oh, that is, that is a deep, rich vein you've tapped. I, I, um, I am in awe of you every time you do this. I mean, and when, um, when Richie, uh, I mean, when Richie tells Eli that he's in love with Margot, Eli's first move is to go immediately to Margot and tell her this news. Mm-hmm. Why? To sabotage this potential romance between Margot and Richie. Not because he's jealous for the sake of Margot, but because he's jealous of what this means for his long-term pining for Richie. This confirmation that Richie cares for someone else, not for Eli. Eli freaks out. Eli goes into, into the spiral. He, he he starts hitting those heavy drugs. He starts trying to sabotage Margot and Richie's relationship. Mm-hmm. He... he um, crashes a car into a house and wears some racist makeup. I was about to just, say, he, like, he takes the news very badly. I think, like, the drug use specifically, that escapism, is, like, I'm, I'm certain 
interpreted as like him coping with Margot leaving him or whatever, but no, 100%. Like, cause I mean, I don't know. What is there to be in love with if all you talk about is Richie? <laughs> Right. Like together, exactly. like you're obviously, wow. Okay. And also, I mean, just there's a little bit more evidence here. Um, Richie is in love with Margot. Um, they are brother and sister, but not related. Mm. A big part of Eli's character arc is that Eli has always wanted to be a Tenenbaum. He mm-hmm. has always, he, he sent his grades in school to uh, Ethelene. For her approval, he always sends her his uh, magazine clippings. Yeah. Um. Now that he is an adult, because he wants to also be a Tenenbaum sibling. Why? Because Richie is in love with Margot, who is a Tenenbaum sibling. <laughs> Eli does not want to be with Margot. Eli wants to be Margot. Eli is projecting <gasps> onto Margot. He wants to be adapted to this family because he wants this relationship that Richie and Margot have. You are blowing my mind. It's what I do. Oh, every day. Every day I am blessed to have you. Every three months. Every every approximately every season. Every season of Homeland. I've never watched that show. Um, me neither, but my grandpa I, always, always trying to get me to do it. Well, we are all about your grandpa's faves today. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. He's got a lot of them. My grandpa watches a lot of TV. That's like, that's grandpa. That's real grandpa hours. <laughs> <laughs> Hit that motherfucking like button. Your grandpa. Your grandpa watches Homeland. Real Deadwood hours. <laughs> Hit that motherfucking like. Okay. Do we have anything else to say about this movie? Any any uh, final thoughts? I feel, I feel just about wrapped. I think I have spoken. I've spoken my piece. Spoken at length. I have. I. Who knew I could talk so much? I did. So that's so that's our wrap up. Um, is that that that's that's our gay take on this movie? Is that Royal and Ethelene separated because Royal because of Royal's extended affairs with men, mm-hmm. possibly with Pagoda? Mm-hmm. Um, Margot. If nothing else, it's a very in, intimate friendship. Yes, Margot should have stayed in France with this woman. And we need that fanfic, y'all. And Richie and Eli, or at least Eli, I don't know what Richie's deal is. Eli has been pining for Richie since mm. they were children and projecting that onto Margot. So really, I mean, again, this is one of those ones that is not even like, we're not making this up. This is just like subtext in the film. This so, is literally what's happening in front of our faces. This is literally like, yeah, it's, you know, if you read the uh, the fake book that the Royal Tenant Month is based off of. It's all right there. Like, you know, they have the scene transitions and it tells you like... It's not a real book? Sentences of the chapter. No. But right below that... I didn't it's all know the stuff that. It says, and also they were gay. It's not It's not a book, but it's based off a fake book. That's so stupid. The, the but framing it is kind of, of the movie it's is kind it's of fun. a book that doesn't exist. Because Wes Anderson is a hipster. Ah, oh, he was a hipster. He invented hipsters. He, like... Was he really did. Like, he invented the genre. He really did. Really, really. And I, you know, I thank him for it because I, I do remain a hipster. Look at this hat. I'm looking at the I'm hat. I'm wearing a Carhartt hat. In the hat and then I love this hat. Chose not to. Okay. Well, I think that has. I think. I think we have done some good work. We have. We always I do. Think we have delved into these murky depths, and we have emerged triumphant as we always do. Mm-hmm. Nothing it hasn't taken us down yet. Nothing's going to stop us now. I can't wait to take a shower. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that is it for another another exciting, thrilling episode of What the Heck. 
Thank you for joining us again. Um, what do we have to say at the end of the episode? We gotta plug ourselves. Uh, plug ourselves. Uh, yeah, you can find me. Well, you can find us. First of all, on all of your favorite social media, uh, find us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, wherever. But just those four, nowhere else. At what the het pod, one word, doesn't matter how you capitalize it. Because that's how the internet works. Um, you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Cello Buster. That's C-E-L-L-O Buster. Uh, what about you? I am on Instagram as uh, Barbie's Black Friend, all one word. Um, it is it is private, but that's just because of the nature of my work. You can request me. Um, and Nico Makes Art, also on one word, one, all one word. And I'm on Twitter as um, Slut of Babylon, and I don't really use it that much, but I I am lurking. I think that's all I've got. So you got, yeah. um, that's us. Uh, also, thank you, as always, to Shady Monk for our intro and outro and interim music. Great guy, great tunes, good times, great oldies. <laughs> uh, you can find all of his stuff out there amongst the web. Just look up that name with those typing fingers. Um, Do it, baby. We should. Oh, we should also. We should give a shout out to. Uh, do you want to plug um, Blaze's new podcast? Yes, I do. Oh, okay. So probably also by the time this airs, I will have been a guest on Blaze's new podcast. But also, oh. you should just listen to it because it's excellent. Um, My, your okay. This is off topic, but your like guest spot on their other podcast on guest professors is so great thank you so and, like, much I went back after we started this podcast like i went back and like re-listened to that and it like just gave me such like a whole like new appreciation for it because now it's like oh i've done a podcast with this person too like that's nico's voice right there everybody gets a chance everybody um, gets a chance, <laughs> a chance on Nico. um yes blaze's new podcast is called let me sex plane and it's all about um their experiences in sexual health and um there's a lot of great information about about relationship dynamics and and sex in general lots of um like it's a it's a really great um form of edutainment and you get to learn a lot about them and a lot about yourself and also um and also they write little articles that go with each episode and they are so good i made a uh, bdm account just so i could clap at them uh blaze a star with their producer jelani yeah i've listened to i mean there's only the one episode there's the one episode and then there's also like the intro episode mm-hmm. i listened to them both and both like, are they're great. Both just like super great super thrilling super informative i learned so much just from like the one full episode that's out it's fantastic. Blaze is like, first of all, one of the most genius people I know. Um, I, I am, I honestly, I surround myself exclusively with geniuses and Blaze is one of, one of the most genius ones and listening to them speak, um, about any, any topic that they are educated on, which is many is so like, it's really like balming. And I say that as like somebody who's been their friend for a handful of years and had lots of deep conversations with them. Um, listening to them talk is like one of my favorite things about being their friend. So you should definitely give them a listen. Yes. Just check that out. It's a, let me sex explain, like explain, but sex explain. There's an X in front. Find, find that on your, uh, 
podcast platforms of choice i think at this point um i, I like i listen to podcasts on google podcasts mm-hmm. and i know it's on there now i know it's on itunes so yeah look it up shout out to blaze um love you, shout out to jelani love you jay anything else i'm wrapped bud sweet i think that's everything um thank you to all of you for listening um be sure to join us next time whenever that happens um (laughs) for a mystery film that we will discuss at a later date and yeah uh what doing what what do you want to say as the uh outro music is playing over our voices as the solely fades in just give us a nice little uh, stinger for the close (laughs) i love you (laughs) And I missed you. Great. And you're pretty. And <laughs> I don't remember what we used to say. <laughs> Usually at this point, we just like come up with a joke. Um, right. um, make sure to, uh, I don't know, have a sandwich with all that yellow mustard. Don't give up on us. Don't give up on us, please. <laughs> okay. Whatever. I'll call up there. I'll be able to cobble something together out of that. I, I believe in you more than I believe in anybody else. But... <laughs>